If you'd please take your Bibles and open them to Matthew chapter 2. I know many of you were not able to join us this morning, but we looked at Matthew chapter 1. Matthew makes clear that Jesus Christ was born through the miraculous virgin birth, testifying to his identity as Isaiah's Emmanuel. Emmanuel is the promised one who will bring victory over Israel's enemies by bringing Israel back into righteous fellowship with God and thereby receiving God's grace and blessings as the Emmanuel reigns and establishes God's peace and righteous and just rule as he exercises his kingship over the land he possesses. That was this morning as we studied Emmanuel. This evening, as you look in Matthew chapter 2, we're going to look at the story that you might commonly think of as the story of the three wise men. Um, I would challenge you to find the number three in this text. Um, it seems as though these wise men are scholars, uh, maybe somewhat adventurous scholars because they're not just sitting in a dusty library, they're out hunting for validation that what their studies have revealed in the Old Testament scriptures is true. And they seem to have a recognition that God in some way has used a star or some astrological sign to point out to Jesus Christ being the promised one. So we're going to read the whole chapter, because I think the whole chapter fits together as, as a unit, and then we're going to specifically look in verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born, king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophets. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise. Take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. 
a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in the city of Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. When you look at this text, the wise men rise to the front of our imagination as we consider what they were going through and what they were accomplishing. They apparently had read the scriptures and knew at some sense that there was going to be a king of the Jews. I do not know exactly where they ascertained there would be a star that points him out. But they come to Jerusalem and they ask. They say, where is he? Now as we look at this text and we consider what the wise men are going through, I think a simple question should permeate our minds almost every time we open a gospel account or a narrative account, even in the Old Testament, is what is this here for? Does God tell us this story of the birth of Jesus Christ so that we might have some texture and understand what it looked like for Jesus to be born? Why does God tell us about these men who are searchers and come and find the Christ? Why does Matthew... Out of all of the things that could be written of his Savior, give us this text. Let me just suggest to you that this text, I think, occurs in our scriptures so that you and I might know and that there might be testimony that even during the life of Christ, he fulfilled scripture in such a way that it stands certain that he is the Messiah of God. And here's, I think, what the text actually says then to show us that. I want you to look down in, in the initial verses where they come to Jerusalem, verse 2. Where is he who has been born? King of the Jews. We saw a star, and we've come to worship him. And then we have the interaction with Herod, verse 4. The assembling chief priests and scribes of the people, and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So you look at how this text is laying this out. They're on a search for a figure. This figure is the Messiah. The Christ. So the Greek word in the New Testament for Messiah is Christ. So sometimes you say Jesus Christ. We should be thinking this is the Messiah. It simply means the anointed one. And in the Old Testament, many people were anointed. Most kings were. If you remember, David and Samuel comes to him in, in 1 Samuel 16 and pours uh, oil on his head, probably oil, olive oil and some other mixtures in there. And it was a symbol of two things. God's selection of this person for an office. And the second thing, God's spirit coming upon that person to accomplish the tasks of the office. And so as Jesus Christ is called the Christ, we just called him Jesus Christ. It's actually not his last name, just to be clear. It's, just, it's a title. It's like the president. And it works and functions a little bit like a name, but it's not the name. So Jesus is this Messiah. He's chosen by God, but his particular task is to be what? He's appointed as the king. In fact, that's what the wise men say. They come and they say, where is he? Who's been born? King. Where, where's, the, where's the Jewish king? And so, of course, they've gone to the capital, and they speak to the Roman governor that was often called king at this point, King Herod, and they say, hey, so there's a kingly guy that's been born, a prince 
Where is he? Well, Herod doesn't have a nursery. He doesn't have a little, you know, baby room painted blue for this little baby boy. And he realizes very quickly that there's some other pretender out there. And you know Herod is on a death search from the very beginning, don't you? He secretly inquires of the wise men, hey, when did you see that star? And we read further in the account that that then is the window in which he slaughters these babies in this region. Just in case this baby is there, he wants to make sure there are no threats to his sovereignty over Judea. And so he kills these innocent babies. So Jesus is identified in this text as a king. I want you to look at the prophecy then he quotes. He says, O you, or excuse me, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. It's already been made plain that Jesus is a born king. He's an infant king. In fact, I said the word prince before. That's probably the wrong word to use. He's a king from birth onward, isn't he? He's born king, and he's king because of God's appointment of him. And here, he's identified not merely as the titled king, but the one who will in the future shepherd, pastor the people of Israel. The shepherd's job is to care for, to comfort, protect, and lead his people. And this is who Jesus is called to be. This is probably a quote from 2 Samuel chapter 5, when, when David is, is being brought into Jerusalem, and all of Israel says, hey, we're, we're done having any other king. We want you to be our shepherd. And David is called and anointed, or maybe I'd say inaugurated, in Jerusalem as the shepherd of Israel. Matthew picks this up and lays this inside of the quote from the prophets. So we have Micah's prophecy laid inside of a quote from 2 Samuel. And this is who Jesus is. He's the shepherd. He's the king. He's the one who deserves and warrants respect and honor and obedience. We have people in our culture that have certain symbols. We see it all the time. Um, If you were to have a man come into the room, generally wearing blue, although in our town maybe he would be wearing brown, depends on who he represents, and he has a badge, and he says, hey, I need to talk to you for a minute. You probably wouldn't be saying no. If you saw a law enforcement officer, he has certain regalia and certain symbols of his office that immediately demand certain responses. In fact, if you were to turn and run, that would be a very bad decision. Because that person, by identifying himself and showing you the symbols of his office, requires and demands of you a certain response. We do this all the time. We are master interpreters. In fact, if you are new here and you saw me walking around before the service and you saw this little microphone on, you probably thought, oh, he's the guy that's going to speak tonight. You might even extrapolate it. He's probably the pastor. We just automatically interpret things. You see a man walking close to a woman and you probably think he's her husband. And we automatically filter through life and understand how to interact with one another because our brains process masterfully and interpret and respond in ways that are incredible. In this text here, Jesus is referred to as the Messiah, the King, and the Shepherd of Israel. It's all of that. And and 
the responses are incredibly fascinating. How, how would you think you would respond to knowing that a king was born six miles away from the capital and you were present? So you look at this text, there are at least four different characters. I think it's helpful for us to, to recognize. Matthew points them out. I think probably in the course of this gospel, he is laying down an indictment against Israel. So look at, look at this text. It says in verse 2, they're looking for this one who's been born king of the Jews. Verse 3, when Herod heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. Okay, so we have two characters right now. We have Herod. We have all of Jerusalem. And verse 4, he assembles the chief priests and scribes and inquired of them, saying, where is the Christ to be born? So now we have three, really four if you include the wise men, people who are responding to this person who's a shepherd, who's a king, who's the Messiah. So just go through them in your mind and ask yourself, how did they respond to this person who's identified as the Messiah? Well, first, let's just start with Israel. Jerusalem is there. They hear there's a king. Herod's on the warpath looking for this king, and all of them are excited, investigating, fascinated. No, they're troubled. In fact, I would suggest to you that they're probably afraid because Herod is a violent and bloody man. He kills many. He kills people within his own family because they threaten his kingship. Jerusalem, when they hear that Herod is on the hunt for someone who claims to be king, rather than investigating the scripture, they do nothing except feel the unrest. So here's the sad commentary. Jesus is born six miles away, appears to live there for some manner of months or maybe even a couple years, and no one from Jerusalem says, you know what? Today's a holiday. We don't have to work. Kids? Hop on the donkey. Let's go. Let's figure this thing out. He's the king. And they don't care. They're too busy and they're too concerned for their own welfare. You have the scribes and the, and the chief priests. Now, this is probably the most condemning. They know the scripture. So you have these wise men that say, hey, we've seen the star of the king of the Jews. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we know exactly what you're talking about. Let's read the scripture here. Yeah, it says that he's going to born in Bethlehem of Judea. Have fun, boys. This is their world. This is like a scientist who's a botanist, and he spends his whole life studying flowers. And someone's like, hey, there's a patch of flowers that no one's ever, ever seen before in my backyard. You want to come look? No, no, no. I, I want to stay in my lab. Like, what good scientist doesn't actually care to know the stuff that he's studying and see it firsthand and experience it. They take and show the wise men from the scriptures the place where he's going to be born, and none of them hitch a ride. I mean, maybe they're not like astrologers, and they're looking at the stars going, I have no idea what star you're looking at, boys. But can I follow you? There's no concern that the Christ was born and they don't know it. Can you imagine being a religious expert, having people say, hey, we know and have proof that your king has been born and we want to go find him. It's a faithless, cold response. They clearly don't believe that these wise men have seen a star from God. 
They do not believe that Jesus is actually born, or they're so cold and different to the activity of God, they don't care that he actually is born. They're cold. They're faithless. And Herod, of course, is the most demonstrably bad. He wants to know where this child has been born. He wants to know which child it is. And just in case he doesn't have a particular child nailed down, he wants to know the possible age range. Age range and he slaughters wholesale any child that might be a potential threat in the future for his kingdom. Now, I don't think it was much longer, maybe two years that they were in Egypt. So at this point, Herod is close to the end of his reign. What threat, let me just put it in this position, what is the possibility that a two-year-old will soon replace me as pastor? He's the king established by the Roman Empire. What threat is a brand new infant baby to his kingdom? But he is so neurotic and careful to hold on to what he has that even though the threat be so impossibly small, he will kill it rather than lose his glory and power. And then we have the wise men. They're not Jews. They're not from Israel. As far as we we know from the text, it doesn't say anything about their devotion to the God of the Old Testament. They're Gentiles. They're outsiders. The Jews would consider them unclean. And yet, because they are paying attention, and because they're devoted to discovering God's world, God graciously leads them to a place where they meet the King of Kings. So you look at the text, and they they hear this passage from Micah. Look with me in verse 11. They go into the, well, let's back up, because even just their hearts are so sweet. It says, the star that they had seen, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw this star, they rejoiced exceedingly. I've not met too many happy scientists. I mean, like, just like picturing like grown men exceedingly joyful about a baby. It's just a funny picture. These guys are probably dusty, getting off their camels, and they're just stoked that they got here. And maybe it was a long trip, and, you know, like any child in a car, they've been asking themselves how much longer until we get there. And they're finally there. Going into the house, verse 11, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshipped. They came prepared. They opened up their treasures, gold, frankincense, myrrh. We're familiar with these incredibly valuable, precious gifts. The Bible calls them treasures. When we look at this text, we're given, we're given a profile that I don't think is the central theme of the text. I don't think Matthew is centralizing the response of the Jews but he's highlighting it in contrast to the clear announcement that Jesus is the Christ. I want you to consider this. These chief priests and scribes pull out a prophecy that is some 700 years previous, and it is correct. It guides these men to where this child was to be born. The prophecy was literally and perfectly fulfilled. He is born in Bethlehem, the city of David. Because of Herod's bloodthirsty and 
neurotic desire to destroy all contenders to his throne, this baby is sent to Egypt in fear for his life because an angel warns Joseph in a dream. Thus fulfilling Hosea's prophecy, again in the 8th century, some 730 years prior to the birth of Jesus Christ. In Jeremiah's prophecy, that there's going to be weeping and lamentation in this area of the nation because the children have been killed and they are no more, happens some 570 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. God is preaching to Israel, to anyone who's nearby, this is my Messiah. This is the Christ. My hand is on him. Choose him. Trust him. Believe him. And the only people who do are Gentiles. Not the king who claims to be a Jew. Not the religious experts of the day who are cold and heartless toward their God. And not even just the regular citizens. They're just troubled because their way of life might be threatened by an angry king. Prophecy is fulfilled. David, excuse me, uh, the city of David is where Jesus is born. He's born in the line and the lineage of David. He is born through the miraculous virgin conception. Angels three times come to Joseph in a dream to protect and announce his baby. First, to protect him from the threat of a, of a divorce before he is brought into the home of Joseph. Second, to protect him from the bloodthirstiness of Herod. Uh, of Herod. And third, to send him back to the area of Galilee so that the prophecy we looked at this morning in Isaiah would be fulfilled. That Galilee would be the place where the light would first dawn. All of these prophecies are centuries before the birth of Jesus Christ. Usually infants don't have much to say about who their parents are. I don't know if any of you were there when God said, hey, do you want these or these people to be your parents? But I missed that meeting. Where he was born, again, my parents didn't consult with me. These are things that, that happen to a person. And God so sovereignly moves to bring about perfect fulfillment of his prophetic word so that everyone would know that Jesus is the Christ. Not only that, the most incredible thing about this text is absolutely um, confusing and, and we are unsure exactly what to make of it. How exactly does a star lead you to a house? Have you ever seen a star? I want you to imagine it standing over a place where people are dwelling. I have no idea what that exactly looked like. But, but here's what God is doing in this text. He is telling us again and again, this is my Christ. Believe him. Trust in him. Follow him. And he uses a star these wise men could have taken the chief priests, the scribes, they could have taken the people of Israel and said, see, come. And they could have shown them as God takes his finger and puts it on the place where the young child is. God is preaching to all of Israel and frankly to all of the Near East that his son has been born. Now that might not seem incredibly relevant but let me just suggest to you a few applications from this text. This text is written as a record so that we might know that the account of Jesus' birth isn't only true, that it is validated by prophecy to be the very Messiah of God. 
That is, Jesus Christ is proven to be God's chosen one by multiple prophecies fulfilled. Those prophecies are written by multiple authors over multiple centuries before the birth of Jesus Christ so that when he's born, we would know. The responses of these people are troubling, faithless, and cold. But how are you going to respond to Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ has been born. He has lived a perfect life. He has died for our sins, been buried, and been resurrected so that you might be redeemed. And he does not want cold, scientific facts to be your only faith. He wants you to have the heart of the wise men, rejoicing in the birth of Jesus Christ, trusting that he is the Messiah, believing that he's the one that redeems us from our sins, worshiping him. And even just the posture, here's these men who are noble scientists and they bow down and worship him. I'm sure that reflects their heart posture. Wonder and amazement, joy and faith. So as Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, is the promised Messiah of God, let me just simply ask you, do you believe in him? Do you have joy as you contemplate his work and his ministry and his shepherding guidance of his people? Are you committed to following him all the days of your life? It is interesting to think of these men bowing down and worshiping a baby. But he was no baby. He was a son of God, the king of Israel, and he deserves your worship, he deserves your loyalty, and he deserves your faith. Would you trust in Jesus Christ? Renew your joy in him. In this text, God is preaching to us and holding forth his son as the symbol, the focus, and the center of our faith. He's declaring that he is the Messiah. I think the real question then is, is he yours? Do you trust that he is your savior? Do you believe in him? And have you asked him to be your king? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the ministry of Jesus Christ. We thank you for saving sinners who trust in Jesus. And we ask that those who are here tonight would recognize that your scripture gives us irrefutable claims written down in history that provide evidence that you have declared Jesus to be the Messiah. The prophetic word is made plain. Prophecies written beforehand prove that he is the Messiah. The wise men, the troubling elements of Jerusalem, and even the slaughter of babies were all evidences that were clear to those who were alive at the time that Jesus was, in fact, the fulfillment of these accounts. So, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our hearts to believe, to trust in Jesus, and respond with hearts and lives that bend their knee and submit humbly and joyfully to the King of Kings. Lord, help us to love Jesus with all our hearts. Amen.